Welcome to the Living Leadership Podcast. Equipping leaders to live in Christ joyfully and serve Him faithfully. In this series of Living Leadership Podcast episodes, we've been learning leadership lessons from John the Baptist. So far, we've learned from John's first recorded action, a kick in his mother's womb, that ministry flows from joy in Christ. And then we listen to some of John's words to learn that we must know that we are not the Messiah. We must understand ourselves to be unworthy servants of a great master, and we must realise that we can only receive what is given from above. If you find these reflections helpful, then you might enjoy my book, Clarion Call, Finding Joy in Christ with John the Baptist, from which these episodes have been adapted and abridged. This final episode in the series is entitled Never the Groom. You might recognise the play on the phrase, ever the bridesmaid, never the bride. My suggestion is that this could be a fair description of Christian ministry. We're always the best man or best woman, but never the bridegroom. Let's hear John the Baptist speaking in John chapter 3, verses 28 to 30. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. When God created human beings, he wove into our experience relationships that echo his love for us. These closest human relationships are not human metaphors for us to comprehend God's love, but echoes of the love of God intended by him. Parenthood is one. God was a father before Adam ever was. Marriage is the other. God loved his covenant people before Adam set eyes on Eve. The Old Testament prophets, of course, said that God chose Israel to be his bride. For example, Ezekiel 16, 8 to 21, or Jeremiah 3, verses 6 to 8. Yahweh lavished love on Israel. He kept his vows, but Israel abandoned hers and became a serial adulterer with other gods. This tragic story was enacted in the life of another prophet, Hosea, through his marriage to Gomer. And through experience of being parented and getting married, we can learn to appreciate God, our father and lover. Even if we don't have those experiences or if we've had negative experiences of being parented or of marriage, we can observe good examples in the lives of others and we know what we're longing for. When we find ourselves wondering what it means to be a good parent or a faithful spouse, we can turn to God to learn. That's why Christians care so much about family values, not simply because They're good for people, although they are, but because they are such wonderful ways to learn about God. And so to John's words, they continue the theme of John's life, knowing who he was not, understanding his part. If John had known the saying, ever the bridesmaid, never the bride, he would have owned it proudly in a male version. 
He was content to be the best man and not the bridegroom. He didn't want people to depend on him, to pledge themselves to him or to give him loyalty. He wanted to introduce the bride to the groom and to smile, applaud and throw confetti as they entered their union. His joy would be in the voice of the bridegroom and with Jesus coming, his joy was complete. Because of course the bridegroom was Jesus. The bride was, as we've said from the Old Testament prophets, the people of God. And that's an image that Jesus used as well. His disciples didn't fast, he said, because the bridegroom was with them. Matthew 9, 15, Mark 2 and Luke 5. And two of Jesus' parables describe the kingdom of God in terms of a wedding feast. The parable of the wedding feast, as it's called, reveals how the invitation would be thrown open to those who weren't expected on the list because so many who had the invitation wouldn't come. That's in Matthew 22. The meaning is clearly that the Gentiles would get to be part of the people of God alongside Israel. And the parable of the ten virgins, meanwhile, is a challenge to make sure that we're ready when the bridegroom comes. That's in Matthew 25. In these sayings and stories, Jesus was stepping into the role that John had prepared the way for as the bridegroom of God's people, the fulfilment of their joy, their eternal partner. The Apostle Paul knew this when he described marriage in terms of Jesus' love for the church in Ephesians 5, to 27. John the Apostle got to glimpse the final fulfilment of all the images at the wedding feast of the Lamb that he records a vision of in Revelation. It's a very good end to a long engagement. It's the greatest party ever as the people of God will finally and irrevocably be united with the husband who gave himself for them, the lamb who had been slain to take away the sins of the world, as John the Baptist was the first to say he would be, now enjoying the results of his work. And that's why John also said in one of his most famous sayings as we read it, he must increase but I must decrease. He knew where history was heading. He knew he could not be the husband we need and he had no intention of pretending. He knew Jesus was the Christ and he was not. He knew God's people were not made for multiple marriages any more than for serial adultery. He knew we need a loving husband to take us as his bride and he knew that Jesus is the only one who could be that husband. Of course, in human experience, wedding preparation, it seems to me, is an almost mystical process. At least in my experience, I've only experienced it once from the inside. uh, And I must say, I wasn't that involved in it. Um, I watched on with some uh, sense of mystery. As a pastor, I've observed it several times as couples I married planned for their big day. And through those experiences and also attending other weddings as a guest, I've noticed just the rising pressure that many people feel to make the day magical. Costs have risen due to all sorts of frills that I'd never heard of when I got married from photo booths to candy carts. In 2019, the average spend on a wedding in the UK was around £16,000 rising to over £20,000 if the cost of the engagement ring and honeymoon were included. That's according to the Broadbook 
www.co.uk UK wedding report. And with all of this money and extravagance often pointing to the wrong thing, we're likely to misunderstand entirely what John the Baptist meant when he spoke of a bride and a bridegroom. But before I get branded as the wedding equivalent of Scrooge at Christmas, let me say very clearly that I know a wedding day is special and I believe it should be. It's appropriate to celebrate the beginning of this new phase in a couple's life especially when they share a biblical understanding of marriage, the vows of marriage are no mere words. If any words contain a kind of magic, they do. Of course, I don't mean the impersonal force of fantasy or the dark notions of paganism, but the true magic in the C.S. Lewis sense, Narnia sense, woven into creation by the God who invented marriage. Wedding vows surrender the self in sacrifice to another and they forge a new entity. Marriage starts a new family unit founded in a covenant union. Christian marriage is a partnership under Christ in the pursuit of godliness and the service of God's will. There's nothing equivalent to it in human experience and we should witness it with the greatest of solemnity and celebrate it with the greatest of joy. So my reservations about modern weddings are not because I think little of marriage, but because I think so much of it. And my concern is that Christian weddings are drifting away from their moorings in the covenant understanding that the Bible presents. Christian marriage isn't simply a coming together of two people in partnership, but a forging in Christ of one flesh. That's how it's described in the beginning in Genesis 2, how Jesus restated it in the middle in Mark 10 and how we need to understand that if we're going to make sense of the image at the end of time of a great marriage between the Lamb and his bride in Revelation 19, 6-10. So when Christian couples plan for their wedding, the intentional preparation for sacrificial partnership in Christ should be their primary focus. And when we as ministers help them to prepare, We should guide them in that countercultural direction. Christian marriage is more than a human relationship. It's an enacted parable of a divine reality, the eternal union between God and his people. And I think that needs to come through strongly, not just in our wedding preparation, but in the service itself. Jesus should be the centre, not the bride or the groom. Because a wedding between two Christians is a foretaste of the marriage of the Lamb and his people. It should remind us that we all, whether married or single, are destined for a greater union. None of us can find ultimate satisfaction in a partner in this life. Married people shouldn't put that unbearable pressure on their spouses. And single people shouldn't believe the lie that marriage would meet their deepest needs. As Christians, we're all betrothed to Christ, and only he can be all that we dream of. Now, of course, when you know that you're getting married, it brings a focus to your life. It mightn't be at the forefront of your mind every waking minute, but it's never far away. It's a constant baseline beneath your mood music. It occupies daydreams and sometimes night ones too. And if only we could think the same way about our eternal destiny. Not like the bride-to-be who forgets that her husband's eyes are the only one that matters on her wedding day. But rather living always for the goal of that day 
when we see him face to face and hear his tender words of love and find joy in the bridegroom's voice. On that day when the vows that we've rehearsed countless times are spoken and the party of parties begins. What would keeping that focus do to our church gatherings? At the moment we're thinking a lot about how to do church, aren't we? In a in a world where we're coming out of COVID and what restrictions do we keep? But in the midst of that, don't lose sight of this bigger question of, of thinking of our church gatherings as wedding rehearsals, not the full deal, so that our expectations stay realistic, but a foretaste. That when the preacher preaches, in his words, we might hear the voice of the bridegroom if his teaching is faithful to Scripture. And that in our songs of praise, we might be expressing our vows to our husband-to-be, rehearsing them. And in taking communion, we might be getting a little foretaste of the feast that's coming. What would it do to our church gatherings if we thought of them as a wedding rehearsal? And what about our conversations in everyday life? If we kept thinking about the marriage that was coming, wouldn't we speak about Jesus with a twinkle in our eyes and a coy tilt of the head, telling everyone about our love for him and our longing to be with him, excited at the prospect? And what about our private lives? Wouldn't we keep ourselves purer, cutting out the adultery of idolatry, saving ourselves for the only person to whom we want to give ourselves fully? He must become more and I must become less. That's true for every believer, but there's a special word here for Christian leaders. Pastor, you're not the bridegroom. You're just his friend. So don't interfere with his bride. You're shepherds of the church, but there's only one chief shepherd and he's the one to whom you will give account. Lead your people to him. Lead them as if you were preparing them for marriage. Maybe you have led or been led through marriage preparation classes. Well, think over them and think about making them a model for your preaching. Excite his people with the bridegroom. Make him bigger in your sermons and actions and make yourself less. I say this in all love, but far too many people in ministry find ways to make themselves prominent. Whether it's in titles, in how they're introduced, in the way they speak, in the amount that they speak. But that's the very definition of pride, sitting up above others, sticking out, catching attention. Only one person deserves to be the focus, and it's not you. Learn from John the Baptist to be the friend of the bridegroom and not his rival. Treat the church as Jesus does, tenderly yet firmly, lovingly honest. Fiercely protective, passionately devoted, but only so that you can present it to him when he returns. Don't let people depend on you when you care for them. Introduce them to the only one who can fulfil their desires, to the one with whom they will be united eternally, along with all God's holy people. As we come to the end of this series, looking at the life and words of John the Baptist, there's so much more that we could say, isn't there? 
But I hope that like me, these insights from John's words, from John's attitude, would continue to find a place in your mind and in your heart to deal with these issues that often grip our hearts of a desire for significance, for recognition, for appreciation, of a sense of jealousy or envy or rivalry, or of frustration and hurt because of the things that are wrong with systems in the church and in the Christian world. All of these things are real, but John calls us to surrender them to Jesus, to find joy once again in him, and to live a life that consistently points people to him. It's a Jesus-centred ministry. It's the only kind that is truly worthy of the name ministry because it is service of the Master. Let's pray as we conclude this final episode in the series. Heavenly Father, we marvel at the fact that history is moving towards a party and we get to be guests. And not just any party, a wedding feast, and we're not only guests, but we collectively will be the bride. Our bridegroom is enough for us. Like John, he is our joy. And like John, every word that he speaks brings delight to our hearts. We await his appearing with excitement. And may this truth shape our lives. May we be pure in our devotion as we wait. And may that devotion shape our churches too. May our gatherings be joyful celebrations as we prepare for that day. And may we who shepherd the church never forget that we are grooms men and women. Forgive us for the times we've become too big in our own estimation. When we've stolen the focus from Jesus. Forgive us. May we become less so he can increase in our affections and in those of everyone we meet. In his lovely name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Leadership Podcast. We hope what you've heard today spurs you on in your walk with the Lord. If you're encouraged by today's episode, Consider sharing it with a friend or colleague or leaving us a review on your podcast app of choice to help others find us. If you'd like to engage further with us on anything we've discussed today, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on any major social media application at Living Leaders or you can visit our website www.livingleadership.org where you'll find even more support and resources to help you live in Christ joyfully and serve him faithfully. Blessings.